God, as we just take a moment right now to hear the word of God, we just say to you, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. God, I thank you once again that you're here. And it's not by chance, Lord, that folks have come through this building. I believe that you've ordered our steps. And God, I pray that the anointing, oh God, would be in motion today. That as it, as it illuminates my heart, God, and as I speak your truth, I pray that it would fall on good soil. Do what only you can do so that when it takes place, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, Pastor Derek had always already welcomed our guests, but I have some friends that are here from, uh, from my marathon training team, and there are other folks that are here for the very first time. Would you show some love and appreciation to them and thank them for being here? I'm going to let you guys go ahead and have a seat. And so I wanted to take a moment today and just kind of share some thoughts that God has put on my heart. And um, I know if you want to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, that's where we're going to hang out for a little bit. If you're using your Bible app, you can go under events and uh, you can pull up the sermon notes today. If not, there will be some stuff on the screen so you can, you can check that out as well. But one of the things that I've, I've, I've done in recent years, and you know this if you've heard me speak before, is that I... I, I run. It's, it's just an activity that I do. It's not that I, I love it. It's not that I enjoy it, but it's just something I want to do to be, be healthy. And so one thing I know about running marathons is when I tell people that I run marathons, nine times out of ten, it's a, it invokes two kinds of responses. Nine times out of ten, people tell me, why? Why would you subject your body to such torture? Why would you do those things? So I've heard every joke in the book as to why. I've heard about people watching Netflix marathons, and that's the only type of marathon that they'll ever run. And so I, I've seen and i heard it all. But the other one out of ten people, what they'll tell me is, uh, wow. So nine out of ten, they'll say, why? One out of ten, they'll, they'll say, wow. And it really inspires them. And so what I what I've wanted to do is I wanted to share, and I actually have my, uh, my coach here today. And so there's about, I don't want to, I'm not the type of person that calls people out or puts them on the spot or whatever, but right now in this entire building, there are 12 Asian people in this building right now, five of which have the last name George, and so by process of elimination, you can figure out who my coach is, but I know this, is that when you're running a marathon, and I'm not going to tell you about the why I do it, but I wanted to tell you about one particular part of the race that, that every single runner experiences, and it's something that's called the wall. At, the mile, at mile number 20, the wall is something that every runner is going to face or go through, and there's a decision to be made. A marathon is 26.2 miles. And so when you get to mile number 20, physically, emotionally, mentally, the wheels start to come off. And so you've been training, and you've been practicing, and you've been thinking through everything that you're going to do. But when you reach mile 20, everything, all, all bets are off. Everything, you've got to kind of rework the plan. You've got to think through. You've got to push through. And so on this particular race, which was about two or three weeks ago, I got to mile 17, and I was feeling like a champ. I felt, I felt really good, and I got to mile 18, and one of the things that our coaches had told us was, in a, in a clinic about a week prior, was, if you see us on the, on the race course, and we ask you how, how it's going, don't lie to us. Don't lie to us. If you tell us things are great, you're doing fine, and really your body is falling apart, because you tell us everything is fine, we're going to give you a high five and you're going to be on your way. But if something is wrong, tell us. If you're dehydrated, if there's a cramp, if there's something going on, 
tell us what's going on, and they'll move mountains to make sure that they're there for us. And so I remember I got to mile number 18, and then the wheels just started coming off. And I remember my coach, his name is Sean, I remember him telling me, listen, I'll be around miles 15 through 20. The moment that you see me, if there's something up, just tell me. And so I, I got to 18, and I could see Sean in the distance. And at that point, my legs felt like lead, and I just, I was ready to kind of give in the towel. And so I'm thinking, what do I tell Sean as soon as I see him? And so he comes up to me, how are things going? And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm struggling. I'm struggling right now. My feet are so heavy. And what Sean did was for a quarter mile, he got in my face, he got in front of me, and he said, listen, I don't want you to see anything else. I don't want you to hear anything else right now. I want you to follow what I'm doing. And what Sean did was Sean set the pace for me, and he just began talking in my ear and encouraging me and reminding me that there is an end that we're going to we're going we're gonna to reach, and there is a 20-mile a mark. This wall that we've talked about, you're going to push through it. I ended up finishing that race. I ended up uh, finishing it in a time about an hour better than I've done in previous years. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you today is that in, that, in my training, about a month prior to the race, I, I got this thing. I don't know if you've ever had it or not, but it's called plantar fasciitis. I don't know the exact medical term for it, but it's extremely painful. It's in your feet. And a month before the race, I was basically questioning whether or not I'll be able to run the race. And we talk about God being a God who heals and a God, who, a God being a God who sets people free. I'm telling you today, I ran that entire race with not one issue. There were people that were praying for me, people that were just encouraging me. But I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that God healed something. And to this day, I have not experienced or felt anything. And God is worthy to be praised for those things. Paul said in the Bible, and I think about what Sean did, and Paul said in the Bible, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And for the longest time until last week, I wouldn't dare tell people, I wouldn't even dare tell you something like that up until a week ago. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I think about what Sean did. Sean was just saying, just follow me. Don't look at anything else right now. You feel like you're not going to make it. Follow me. But then I realized, if I tell people, follow me as I follow Christ, I'm going to mess people up. I'm going to say some things. I'm going to do some things. I'm going to really mess with their head. But what I realized was Paul was saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm telling you today, as I'm following Jesus, follow me. If you see me stop following Jesus, then heaven, stop following me. Stop doing what I'm doing. Stop saying what I'm saying. But I know this is that if we follow Jesus, it's a good thing. And I want to coach you and I want to teach you and I want to give you some practical things about what I want to share today, the message today is called Keep Hope Alive. Keep Hope Alive. So Joshua chapter 1, y'all are still with me. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. And let me just set it up for you because I know that there are people here today, maybe your biblical understanding and your biblical upbringing is not too strong. In the book of Exodus, which is in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is before Jesus got here. Moses basically leads the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery, out of Egypt. And for 40 years, the Israelites are wandering in the desert. Now, Israelites do good things. They do not good things in the eyes of God. And they reach a point where God's like, an entire generation is not going to be able to enter into this promised land that God has promised to the people. And so now Moses, he dies off along with that generation. And this next generation is about to enter the promised land. So we start at verse 2 in Joshua chapter 1. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people 
get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, the big idea, the main idea of what I want to share is this, is God declares your promise before it becomes palpable. God declares your promise before it becomes palpable. There's three promises that we just read in that small portion of scripture. One is, and maybe you need to apply it to your own life, but promise number one is this, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Promise number two is no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And promise number three is I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's promises, God declares your promise before it becomes palpable. Now I remember, and for those of you that know my story as a teenager, I really struggled with depression, came within moments of taking my own life. And it it was in those moments that I'm like, God, you'll never leave me nor forsake me. That promise was not palpable in my life. But I know that his promise is still a promise. And so basically, God is telling Joshua, it's about to go down. I'm about to send you and the Israelites into the promised land. But there is something that's going to happen. There's a fight that's about to ensue. And so God is looking out. Joshua is looking out and saying to God, God, are you absolutely sure about this promise that you're telling me that we're about to possess? Because there are enemies, there are people that are occupying the land. And I believe today that there are promises that God has declared over your life. But there are things that are in the way. There are predicaments that stand in front of you, of you obtaining that particular promise. Now I wanted to give you three things. Three things today that I've found. Again, I'm not here to preach a message. I just want to give you some practical things that I've learned when it comes to understanding that God's promises are being declared over your life. And I want them to become palpable. In the time that we have of the promise being declared and then be actually becoming a reality, there are some some things that we can do. And number one is this. Is this, name your enemy. Name your enemy. Here's the promise, but here's the predicament. Joshua now is, he's crossed the Jordan River with the Israelites. And they're standing in front of this entire city called Jericho. Jericho was one of these places that was a well-established city. It was a fortress almost. It was surrounded by entire walls. And from what I studied, the walls were 20 feet high and 25 feet thick. This was a significant undertaking that Joshua and the people of God had to do. And so what happens is, is I'm thinking, it's not written in scripture, but I'm thinking, God, are you sure about this? These walls are 20 feet high. These walls are 20 feet thick. There is no one going in. There's no one coming out. This is a well-established city. And you're telling me and my people that we're about to take the promised land. God, we've got Jericho in front of us. How is this even possible? But something happens. God begins to speak promises into Joshua's life and says, listen, be strong. Have courage. I've always told you, if, if, there's, a, if there's a book in the Bible that I want you to read, if you ever get into a Bible reading slump, is to read the book of Proverbs. And the reason why I tell you that is because Proverbs is full of wisdom. And so I tell people, read the book of Proverbs, associate the chapter that you read with the calendar day of the month. So if today is November 27th, you're going to read Proverbs chapter 27. 
Now, if you're, as you're reading, if you are in a place where you're like, you know what, I want to dive in a little bit further, I encourage you to read the book of Joshua. And so now there's facing, because what I do is I replace the names and the circumstances with my own life and what I'm going through, and I begin to declare the promises that were declared in Scripture over my own life. So Joshua now is looking at Jericho going, these walls are massive. How are we going to do this? And so God instructs Joshua, I want you to march around these walls six times. Each time as, as Joshua and the Israelites marched around those walls, they came back to the camp. And so I don't know the intimidation factor of the people that were within the walls of Jericho, but on the seventh time, on the seventh time, they march around one more time and re- listen to what it is that happened. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Listen to this. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the house of the Lord. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up his gates. Joshua was instructed by God, and what Joshua did was he declared that Jericho was an enemy. So what I want you to do today is I want you to name your enemy. Name your enemy, and here's why. When we name the enemy, it zeroes in on the enemy's camp. Naming the enemy is a declaration of war. And so I ask you, what is your enemy today? What has paralyzed you for so long? What has made you inoperable in this life? Because God, I mean, the enemy has has declared war over you. Maybe it's something about doubt or insecurity or regret. Maybe it's divorce or bitterness or envy or hopelessness. Name your enemy. It draws the battle lines. It forces you to take sides. And so Joshua now, he's given this declaration by God, take Jericho. And so he sees this man in the distance, and, he's, and he basically approaches this man who's carrying a sword. And the Bible says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. God is going to lead you to your victory. God is going to lead you through your victory. And I pray today that nothing that comes onto the scene will be able to stand against you just like Joshua took on Jericho. There was this, there was this important thing that as, as you name your enemy, God is continuing to declare these promises and we want to see these promises become reality. The second point is this. The first one was name your enemy. The second one is to remember your Jordan. Remember your Jordan. How many of you, without raising your hands or audibly saying anything, in 2016, you can look back and you know full well that God answered your prayer. When no one else was looking, in those emails that you sent to me, in the meetings that we've had, in the conversations that you and I have interacted with, maybe in your own room when you knelt down at your bedside, maybe while you were sitting at your desk or when you were driving in your car, There was a situation that you went through, and unless God showed up and God did something, there was no way. But God demonstrated himself in 2016. He answered your prayer. I'm telling you today, we have to remember our Jordan. 
Why, why do I say something like that? Before the Israelites crossed over and began to take the promised land, the Jordan River stood in front of them. The Jordan River stood at its highest banks at this particular moment in time. It was harvest season. And what happened was is not only did the Israelites have to cross this Jordan River, but they needed the help of God. And because of its stages of where it was at, it was a miracle that was needed to happen from God. And so what God does was he performs a miracle. He stops the flow of the water for the Jordan River so the Israelites can cross over. And what happens is, is as they cross over on dry land, Joshua tells the Israelites, take 12 stones and I want you to make a memorial of what has happened. So that in the future, when future generations ask, what are these stones about? You'll be able to remind them of what the Lord did. I believe that there are Jordan rivers all over your life. And sometimes we forget in the midst of us facing so much opposition, in the midst of us facing so much turmoil, in the midst of us facing so much uncertainty and hopelessness, we have to remember the things that God has done in our lives. We have to once again declare that this is a moment where God has done something great. Remember your Jordan. As the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, it's still in their rearview mirror. It's still in view. And what I ask you to do, and I've asked you to do this in, in, in seasons past, is to write it down in a journal. Write it down in a journal and remind yourself from time to time of what God has done. Recently, what I've done is instead of putting it in a journal, I've actually put it in my calendar as a recurring event. That moment that I was sitting at a funeral service or a memorial service alongside you and your families, having to deal with a tragic situation, I've put it in my calendar. When, I, when I've seen... Uh, when I've walked into the NICU, when I've walked into hospital rooms, when I've walked into meetings where I know God has done something great, instead of sticking it in my journal, I put it as a recurring event. If you're on Facebook, they've done this awesome thing now where that you can share memories or you can recall things that you've posted from years past. And I hope that the things that you're posting are worth remembering in seasons that come later on. And so in my calendar, I've found uh, a few things that I wanted to remind you of. And I, I had promised that I would be transparent with you as, a, as, as just uh, brothers and sisters in the faith. If you've been here since for about four or five years, and I've been at this now for almost 10 years, but in, in around 2012, I was able to accomplish some things in life and in ministry, but that was one of my personal low points. In, in, in an accomplishment side of the house, I was able to finish a 10K run. Again, I run. I finished a half marathon. In both of these races, I was able to have a personal best in what it is that I was able to accomplish. In 2012, I was able to uh, receive my last level of ordination so that I could be a pastor and do what I do today. But in that same year, in the same year of accomplishing so much, in the same year of you maybe seeing those celebrations and those highlights uh, of what, what was happening in my own life, there was other things that were going on. In January, I remember never feeling more alone than I did in that moment. I remember in February when I was at a pastor's conference that I was at a personal low point. I remember in April, right at spring break, that our family had just decided to get up and go to Washington, D.C. to get out of the city because I was fatigued. I remember going on a trip to Panama on a missions trip with some of the guys that are here in this room right now, and I had reached a place of burnout. 
I remember those moments, and those are moments where I'm remembering once again what my Jordan rivers were. And you're like, wait a minute, those are low points. Those are things that you don't want to remember. But I do remember in 2013 that God began to strengthen me from the inside out. He reminded me that my best days are still ahead of me. He reminded me that as I trust in him and as I lean on him, that he'll direct my paths. He reminded me that the anointing of God is irrevocable, that the call of God is irrevocable. He began reminding me of things, and that was my turning point. And I'll never forget, and I'll constantly remind people that God is faithful. What he's begun, he is faithful to complete. And I'm praying today that I don't know what it is that you are going through or what it is that you've been through, but I want you to remember your Jerichos. I want you to remember your Jordan Rivers. That time that you were in a terrible car wreck, I want you to remember your Jordan. That time that you were laid off. That time that no one believed in you. That time that you were told that you weren't going to make it. That time that your character was attacked. That time that you were handed divorce papers. That time that you were handed the doctor's diagnosis. That time that you were left for dead. That time where God showed up and he showed off. And he showed himself once again to be a faithful God, to meet you at your point in need, to deliver you from darkness, to deliver you from slavery, to deliver you from that heaviness. Our God is still at work. Name your enemy. God's promises have been declared over your life. And in the midst of you waiting for them to become reality, I pray that you'll name your enemies, that you'll you'll draw a line in the sand, and you'll remember those moments that God has done some great things. You'll remember your Jordan Rivers. And the last thing is this, is I want you to fight for your promise. I want you to fight for your promise. I've constantly gone back over my notes and I've looked at the things that we have shared with you from this stage and from this microphone. And God continues to stir my heart for you. You know, my wife had told me something this morning. She was half awake and I was getting ready to leave. And she said, before you used to want to preach a message. You'd want to get up here and make sure that you preach the message. Now when you speak, you actually pastor the people. And I want you to know that as I look out on this audience and I see what it is that, who it is that I'm looking at, I remind myself of what God has brought you through. And I'm telling you, friends, he is not yet finished. And while we wait for these promises to become tangible in your life, I want you to know that there is a fight that we have got to do to see these things come to pass. Even and especially if, The odds have been stacked against you. The Bible says that God is not a human, that he should lie. He's not a human being, that he would change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Isaiah said, since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on on behalf of those who wait for him. Fight for your promise. You might be here today without any ounce of strength in your entire being, but this is why you come into the house of God, because there are people that are here today that will fight for you. This is why you come in, so that your hearts would be encouraged. This is why you get up and you walk through these doors, because when you hit that mile 20 and it feels like you're up against the wall, another brother or sister in the faith will push you through and usher you into what God's promise is for you. There's a prayer that I wrote down, and if you see it in your notes, it's this. Today's mountain is tomorrow's testimony. It doesn't matter how big the mountain is. It doesn't matter how long the mountain has been there. 
What does matter is what Jesus says about the mountain. He said, if I speak to the mountain, it has to obey me. My life, your life is mountain free. No mountains of sickness or disease or loneliness or regret or you fill in the blank. That mountain has been eradicated and eliminated from your life. You are healed. You are healthy. You are whole in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet? And I'm going to ask these guys in the, in the booth, if you just kind of lower the house lights. And I want to take a moment to pray, to pray for folks. I offer you nothing else. I'm not doing bait and switch. I'm not trying to stir emotions right now. You're here today. And one of the greatest things that I love to do is just pray. I told you that I, I should be a suicide statistic. But I declare it before the enemy, I'm still here. And I'm moving stronger than I ever have. You think 2012, that is long gone. 2013 was my turning point. 2016, this has been my greatest year of life in ministry. Not because of my own doing, not because of my own merit, but because God is faithful to his promise. And for the first time ever, I'm beginning to believe in the midst of such an evil world and so much that is going on that there is still hope, and that hope is found in one name. I want to take time to pray, and I'll give specific instruction on how I want to do this. But if you know you need prayer, I want you to begin making your way to the front. If you know that you're in a dire situation or a bad circumstance, I want to give you the hope of Jesus Christ. You might not even have that strength today, but I'm telling you, as you step out, that's you naming your enemy. That's you making a declaration of war. That's you saying, my family, that divorce that's being considered, that sickness, that, that ailment, that disease, those shackles, that bondage, that addiction, all that stuff. You begin to name your enemy the moment that you stand out, step out from where you're standing. And as you come to the front, and I don't know if it's one or many that will come up, but even if it's just one person, I tell you, the message was worth it. It was worth giving the word of God to the people this morning. And I know this is as you come and as you step out, you name your enemy. The second thing is you remember your Jordan. I want you to just reflect as you stand up here about what God has done in your life. I want you to remember what it is that he has accomplished, that when no one else and nothing else can make these things happen, that he demonstrated himself strong. Remember your Jordan. And then we're going to fight for your promise. I'm not going to pray again this morning over the crowd. I'm going to have Pastor Derek come up and, and, and close the service in a few moments. But if you're here today, if you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you. If you're in the back row, we'll wait for you. If you're buried in an aisle, they'll move out of the way. Oftentimes people think, what are people going to think? They're not thinking anything. If anything, they're thinking, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that we can continue to point people to Jesus. And so as you're coming, Pastor Trevor is going to help us with a worship song, and, and we'll just go from there. But if you need prayer, if you need somebody to walk with you, just grab them by the hand and come up front. But let's take time again to declare God's promises over your life. It doesn't matter how young. It doesn't matter how old. It doesn't matter how dire you know the situation might be. I know my Jesus, and I know that he's alive, and I know that he is well. And so if you need prayer today, would you make your way up to the front?